Gonna cry. Gonna piss your pants. Maybe shit and come. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome aboard Beef Station once again. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. Andrew. Let's kick it off. Yeah. This week we watched Free Solo. We did. Which is a documentary requested by listener of the show, Zach. Zach E this time. <laughs> and it also won Best Documentary at the Oscars. Yeah, Best Feature Documentary at the Oscars just last year. Uh, so Best Documentary of 2018. Mm. So we thought... Might as well get the beef train rolling straight on through it and let you know what we think. But we thought, first of all, we'd kick it off with some news. We've got a bumper segment of the news this week. You ready to go, boy? I am ready to go. All right, we'll kick it off with a few trailers that dropped this week. We've had a huge week of news. Quentin Tarantino's first trailer for his new film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, dropped this week. Yep. Very exciting. It's a new Tarantino film that explores uh, Charles Manson's Hollywood. There's an unknown actor that I I don't know the name off the top of my head playing Charles Manson. It also features Margot Robbie as murdered wife of Roman Polanski. Again, don't have any facts for you. Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio are also Sharon Tate. Um, Margot Robbie is Sharon Tate. (laughs) <laughs> I was trying to someone joke. someone sent me this picture the other day and my brain just instantly went Sharon Tate and I was like man where did that come from <laughs> how the fuck do I know that she's called Sharon Tate yeah and, yeah and when I needed it I instantly forgot yeah also I think people forget that um that was Roman Polanski's wife yeah nuts yeah it's pretty pretty crazy I yeah. mean like I reckon the average Joe has no fucking idea who Roman Polanski is but us being <laughs> film experts know that he was in some way involved with films <laughs> oh yeah um, and tangentially involved with Michael Jackson so to speak <laughs> uh oh I reckon you'd rather <laughs> moving right along I reckon you'd rather the films at this point <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean if I had to pick definitely <laughs> Hey, no one's making you pick, okay? You're bringing it up. It's no Sophie's <laughs> choice. That's all I'm saying. Well, I don't think it was. Uh, don't think it was anyone's choice. <laughs> <laughs> Toy Story Four. <laughs> also, Uh-oh. oh no, no, that's no. anyway. <laughs> Toy Story Four trailer for that one dropped this week as well. It features a badass little Bo Peep as this sort of. Um, I don't know, she's wearing like a, a hooded cape thing and she's got like her shepherd's crook that she now uses as like a martial arts staff thing. Looks kind of cool. I'm a little disappointed because I think Toy Story 3 was like the perfect ending to the series. Yeah, I don't but really... But we'll see how it goes. I mean, a fourth, di- a, a fourth Pixar movie concerns me greatly because it's like, guys, you are renowned for inventing original yeah. material that kids love. Well, yeah. Why the fuck are you doing a fourth movie I don't want Toy Story. Yeah. I don't want Toy Story to turn into a Cars. But I, I, uh, I, don't, I haven't cars seen... Cars only had three. Yeah, but like, one of those was really bad. In the, in the sense of like, the first Cars movie, I think it was really good. Yeah. And then the, the second ones, the second and third one, it seems like maybe it was just continuing no, on because in as hell. Disney wanted more franchising. Absolutely. I don't think it's been very much... Fra- I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't really think that Toy Story is very popular for like... Merch and stuff, though, is it like I know it's literally called Toy Story. But I, reckon, I haven't seen many like like toys still exist. I think that you and I not having kids means that we are completely yeah, divorced from whatever. <laughs> if there world. are any parents listening, to them, I'd be tearing their hair out. Right yeah. Now. Um, 
<laughs> uh, this isn't so much of a trailer, but it's a new film announcement. Though it was announced in the form of a short video. Mm. Bill and Ted Three. Oh, that's it's right. going to be released. Yeah. Um, so Keanu and the the guy who plays the other one, <laughs> yeah, who um, nobody knows, shot shot a video announcing that they might be able to do a Bill and Ted three sequel coming Is up that soon. The guy that did MacGruber? Sure. I don't know. Um, so that, that's exciting. I've mm. never actually seen. We should do an episode on the Bill and Ted films, maybe with Back to the Future or something, because I've heard they're great. I've seen uh, Excellent Adventure one, I think. But yeah. I don't think I've seen two. No, I've never I've never seen either of them. I didn't even know there was a second until I heard there was a third. So <laughs> Maybe they're doing a travelling Wilburys thing. Yeah. Um and the final one, I don't know if you've heard about this. Did you see that uh this week one of the top trending videos of the week was the trailer for the new live action Dora the Explorer movie? No. <laughs> Dude, Dora the Explorer is in high school now. And all she wants to do is lead a normal life, but her Where parents. Where did you see this trailer? But her, but her parents have been. Was this uh, on Pornhub? No, here's the thing. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's like because the, Dora, the actress played Dora the Explorer is like a little on the. <laughs> whatever. No, go ahead. Use any adjective there. <laughs> Dora the Explorer is typically a five-year-old. <laughs> and she's. This ain't your grandpappy's Dora the Explorer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Danny Trejo is voicing the fucking monkey. Fucking hell. Um, it's like... Uh, oh, the monkey's got a machete now? <laughs> Eva Longoria uh, plays Dora the Explorer's mum along with uh, Michael Peña who plays her father. This is fucking wild. Dude, it's like... Open it's always like a, it's always go to the like Wikipedia a, page. How old is the actress that's playing Dora the Explorer? It's always... Oh, man, we're getting dangerously close to... No, because she's you, you're right. She's like five in the TV 17. series. Right. So she's like, they're definitely going for a different thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dora the Explorer just wants to lead a normal high school lifestyle, but uh, her parents are on the search of Aztec gold or some shit in South America, and then like mobsters kidnap Dora and take her down to South America where she has to find her parents. Um, and the trailer features this like Mary Poppins-esque scene where the school principal like empties out Dora's backpack and she's like, what is all this? And like a flare and a hatchet. Right. And a fucking tent falls out of her backpack. So, you know, that'll be terrible. But Who's that's this coming. aimed at? It's weird, isn't it? I'm baffled. I, I have as I consistently am by these live action adaptations. <laughs> no idea. Who the fuck but is we'll, this for? But we'll find out on August the second when it comes out. Right. So there you go. Who's directing it, and what else have they done? Directed by James Bobbin, right. who also did the Muppets movie in 2011. Oh, that was very good. Um, and he co-created Flight of the Concords. Right now, that'll be good. Those Flight of the Concords See, and that's the Muppets interesting. are both. They've, they've got a real powerhouse. Fantastic pieces of media. Um, I'd be interested to see these. He's also doing an Action Man movie. Man, we're too... We're, let's, let's just not. No, we, we Holy can't. Holy fuck. We can't. At, the, at, this, at some point, people are going to think that Beef Station News is a work of fiction. We have to maintain credibility. Well, it's... <laughs> oh. That's the first piece of news I have for news this week. You ever feel like you're in a simulation and the people that are yeah. running the simulation are getting bored? And so they're just pushing, mm. they're just pushing it a little bit. Just at the seams, in in ways where you're like, if there's any way that anyone was running a simulation, they just wouldn't make this shit up. Like, of all things. They'd make the <laughs> sky, like, fold in on itself or something. They wouldn't... Not like... They wouldn't make... Like, they're just trying to fucking figure out what I'll buy. And, like, just every single thing that he remembers Your from his childhood... Your whole life is like an intelligent marketing algorithm. Yeah, every single thing he remembers, just make it... That, but it's like it happens in the real world now. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> Does anyone is anyone asking for this? Have I felt? Have I had my finger off the pulse long enough to completely lose track of people really wanting this? Yes, yes, yes. This is what people want now. People yeah. want a gritty, a gritty high school reboot. The annoying thing is, these are going to be bad, and they're also going to make two hundred million dollars. So. No lessons learned. <laughs> All right. How's, how's this next one? What do you think of this? Uh, Zach Efron, Amanda Zayfried, and Will Forte are Fred, Daphne, and Shaggy in a brand new Scooby-Doo movie. <laughs> I'm imagining... To open in May 2020. It's the first um, live-action take on Scooby-Doo since the awful 2004 version of the film that came out. What else is the um, guy... Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, Gina Rodriguez is playing Velma. Tracy Morgan's going to play Captain Caveman. And now Frank Welker is going to reprise, reprise his voice of Scooby-Doo. Same dude. Um, he voiced. He he did the voice in like a sixties and seventies version of the show. Oh shit! Okay, yeah. back to its roots. Mm, maybe. What What else is the guy who did Shaggy done? Oh, Will Forte. No, you definitely Will know Forte, his name. You yeah. definitely know his name if you saw it. You know his face if you saw him. He's um. Funnily enough, he was on McGruber. But no, you'd if if you've seen anything he's in, you definitely know him. Obviously, but like he's in all sorts of like American SNL style. He was McGruber, right? I think so. Yeah. Wow, what a fucking what a crazy crazy coincidence! coincidence. Yeah, no. <laughs> and I haven't thought about that movie for like five years, and then I saw it on a Facebook thread yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think of this? There's a new um, David Fincher produced series. Like an, an animated series uh, that's just come out on Netflix called Love, Death, and Robots. Mm. I've only heard, we both listened to another podcast where they didn't really like it much. I haven't really heard many other reviews about it. But it's interesting and it's making headlines this week because it's this anthology series over a, several episodes that can be watched in any order. So much so that Netflix has this AI algorithm thing that's showing. Um, the episodes in different orders to different users. Right. So you and I might log into Netflix and go and open this show and have the episodes popping up in completely different orders. And episode one for me will be different for you, which I think is interesting. And people on Reddit All are speculating. All the ones that be of questionable age. <laughs> no, please don't. Can this not be the new running joke? Yeah, no. I was going to say, I can't. Neither of us can afford that at all. <laughs> all right. What do you reckon? What do you reckon of this next one? Um. But people on Reddit are um, talking about whether it might be sort of suggesting the episodes to you based on uh, race or sexuality or gender demographics. Netflix is saying, "Well, we don't really have that information." Yeah, but oh, they can probably that could, be, that could probably it influence pretty, it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think I think that's really interesting, though. Um, delivering a show like that, not just like so Netflix has done a few different like interesting like TV delivery things at this point Band now, where you've had like whatnot. yeah, exactly. You've had that. You've had like them starting the whole like opening up. All the episodes being available at one time, right? I guess phenomenon I kind of to begin that with. They did that because that's normal now, but they did blow the entire industry out of the water with that. Yeah, and so now <laughs> they're like model. experimenting yeah. with it a little bit even more. Where now yeah. it's like, well, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter what order. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. This is shotgun scattergun approach, <laughs> and blasting so, you straight in the uh, face. I I watched Mindhunter, and that that had Finch's name on it too, um, and I can't remember. I th- I feel like he. Did that thing where he like it's similar to House of Cards where he like directed the first episode and, and then, then just fucked off, off or something <laughs> yeah. like. Um, but uh, Mindhunter was interesting because it was not what I expected at all. It's sort of about the birth of 
uh, forensic psychology, so like analyzing the yeah. the thinking patterns of criminals and and sort of seeing whether or not you can predict or retrospectively assess people's decisions in a criminal setting. You know what right. fucking criminal psychology is. Yeah, but sure. one intriguing thing that the, the the show does is it represents a few serial killers that uh, were actually real. Um, yeah. And one of the most, uh, I guess, chilling portrayals is is um, this guy called Edmund Kemper, uh, or Ed Kemper, who is... Uh, you can actually go... Maybe I'll put a link in the description, but there's a, r- a really cool video showing... They've got real footage of this dude because he's alive and in jail, I believe, at the moment. Or maybe he's dead now, but... No, he's alive. Um, Dude's almost seven feet tall. Holy yeah, shit. He, and he, the way that this guy talks is really <laughs> interesting. the ogre of Aptos. He's incredibly... Uh, is that ironic? He's incredibly articulate. Um, like those Ted Bundy videos. And self-aware. So he talks about his process and his thought process behind what he did. And this dude, like, um, he killed his own mom and then he strangled a bunch of people to death and, like, mostly young women. And he's talking about... He's, like, kind of analyzing himself and he's like, I've always wondered if, like, the way that my mom treated me had anything to do with why I have these feelings. And he's he, like, battles... It's like there are two people in it. Have you watched that final interview with Ted Bundy? Nah. It's pretty similar, man. It's kind of... He's, like, oddly articulate and he seems very... Um, lucid and yeah. lucid, yeah. That's so the guy that acts as Edmund Kemper. I'm not sure of his name. I haven't seen him in anything else, but he really nails this guy's mannerisms. And there's right. like a side by side where he's reading a lot of the lines. So Mindhunter was going for a much more like realistic vibe. Um, yeah, but I've just been a little uh, like skeptical a of little, David Fincher yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, yeah. I, he's well, given me less and less reason to. Yeah, well, be intrigued. I think it's just it just shows that like when you see someone's name attached to something, often if they're producing it, it's it doesn't seem like they have that much creative control all the time. No, like, I think the depends. producer seems like more mm. of a more of a often a symbolic title where they just want to attach. I don't know, fucking J.J. Abrams' name or Steven yeah. Spielberg's name to something, and it's not always a guarantee that it's going to have the kind of qualities or affectations of David Fincher stuff, for example, that you're known to like. Normally. Yeah, and, um, and I think based on like if I nowadays if I see the this the tag like. Produced by J.J. Like, oh, okay. Abrams. I'm yeah. like, well, why are you showing me that name instead of who actually directed well, it? Yeah, that exactly. means you. That means it's bad. It's well, like, no, no, it's I mean, I know it just, it doesn't mean it's bad. It just means they're trying like, to market it based off the name you know, based off the name you don't yeah, know. Yeah, but if they how, were proud the of the works. director's job, then they would want Yeah, but they wouldn't name. be like, directed by Jason Wilson in Big... And you're like, what the fuck is that? No, but they'd put both, and then they'd want to try and start career-building the director. So when they're not career-building the director, they're only like... Um, <laughs> you know, because then you can say like from the director of this fucking yeah. thing. But yeah, um, I don't know. before we get off that, I saw another headline this week saying that Netflix is finally starting to teeter over the edge of having more original programming than they do licensed third-party oh, okay. programming, which is interesting and yeah. it's something that's been a long time coming. Considering when you open up Netflix these days, you have no idea what the fuck any of it is. Mm. Um, I think it's a bit of a shame. Because often Netflix is like a hub of like go to like all entertainment is on Netflix and these are, there are less and less movies on Netflix now and there are less and less um, TV shows that you've heard of that are on there and I think a lot of the Netflix stuff we've said before isn't it's not like a guarantee that it's brilliant to any degree it's yeah. just trying to make as much as possible to, I suppose to appeal to as many people as possible oh yeah but that's, be it. that's all that reminded me of that um, I gotta say I'm I'm taking 
uh, more and more advantage of the well, I'm not, I'm not. It's taking yeah. advantage of me, if anything. <laughs> but the, the the Google Play Store, just being able to rent or buy, yeah, and like renting um, a movie on iTunes yeah, or like Google I, for like a dollar. I've never seen There Will Be Blood, and right. um, I was sitting there at work today because I hadn't watched it. It's been on my list for ages, but I hadn't watched it because it's not on Netflix, and I was kind of yeah. like waiting for it to be on Netflix. And then I realized, like, oh, it's probably never fucking gonna be on Netflix. Not if anymore. It's not no. now. Yeah, and so I looked on Google Play, and it's been on there all along. I could have just rented it for like four dollars. It's like fuck. Why did I wait? Why was I <laughs> waiting for some company to buy its rights <laughs> instead of spending four dollars on this fucking? Yeah, movie? Well, it's like uh, Leaf No Trace a couple of weeks ago when we reviewed that. That was a dollar to rent on iTunes. Yeah, like a ridiculous, dollar, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, how's this new headline? Uh, Jordan Peele's new horror movie called Us mm. uh, came out in the US this week as we're recording. Now um, debuted to us. Um, sh- I'll stop you there. Mm-hmm. Jacking there's jacking there's anything in that. Huh? What? Huh? What? Us? Huh? Like you and me? US? Huh? Yeah. yeah, no, it's yeah. Mm, yeah thank yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, debut to a shocking seventy point three million dollars in the U.S. box office. Yeah, I saw a lot of like shit. Heaps. Uh, yeah. From so who who reported that? Um, uh, I've got the Hollywood Reporter here. I think they were it because uh, they were like shocking, and a lot of people that I read on Twitter were just like, "It's not shocking." It's fucking Jordan Peele. Well, no, he's Plus, a, it's going to make no, like a billion dollars. He is, he's very popular no, in this country. Well, here's the thing. He's only had saying, one other horror movie, and here's why it's interesting. So 70, But a massive 70, comedy career behind that. Yeah, but here's why it's interesting, though. $70 million doesn't sound like that much, and it's actually... But it's actually heaps for a horror movie. The three most profitable of uh, opening weeks of horror movies of all time are 27... Uh, the recent, I think it's 2017's recent It film. Yep. There was uh, Halloween, the Halloween sequel that came From out like last the, year. Oh, okay. And then Us. So It made 120 million dollars in its first in, right. in its opening. Halloween made 75 million, and Us is coming in at 70 million. So right. it seems like horror movies are having a bit of a resurgence now because it's not like yeah. you can say that of other genres. Like I'm sure there are loads of other like drama and action and romance kind of films where like heaps of the most popular films have happened more than two years ago I think, so I think the reason why it's interesting and why it's shocking is because there haven't been very many popular hugely profitable debut horror films of late and not even Jordan Peele's last films on that list no but Get Out was something that I think took the world by a huge was storm definitely a critical success speaking of which that just got added to Netflix I'm going to watch it yeah um Get Out only made $33 million Yeah, but that was week. kind of the first... His first step into directing and also, like, yeah. his first step into directing and it was a horror yeah. movie. For what it's but worth. But now, I think that the people saw Get Out, people absolutely loved it, were blown away yeah. by it. And now, um, he can kind of say... Or, like, he has that reputation behind him. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just don't... It's, like... I'm glad, but I I'm don't glad. Think it's I, shocking. I don't think it's as much of a surprise. I, mm. I, I, I think it is a bit more surprising than you're giving credit for. I think it's in the sort of echo chamber circles that we're in, Get Out's considered very good. But it only ended up making like $250 million total in its whole run. And so, just by the way, that's for like, a comparison, it only cost four and a half million, yeah, which so is it's fucking a great, crazy. Horror, horror movies often, I think, very cheap and make yeah. a lot of money um, compared to their budget. But like, yeah, so it's now, he's now made like a quarter of. His first film's entire box office yeah. gross in like in a weekend, on a we- in a weekend, yeah. which is crazy. That's awesome. Very exciting. Guys, I'm really looking forward to guys seeing. Great. It. I've heard it's very good. Mm. Um, the new Elton John biopic oh, yeah. is coming out soon. It's expected to get an R rating for sex and drug scenes. I didn't realize until recently. <laughs> it's being produced by David Furnish, who Elton John is married to. 
Oh. So an interesting kind of personal tie in the same way as there was to the Queen film. I think that's true. Um, yeah, we'll, but we'll the see Queen how it goes. film, in, in the same way that Bohemian Rhapsody was kept, I, I feel like it was kind of kept very saccharine and kind yeah. of it prevented... Seems like if, they're going if, a bit more hardcore right, with this one. Right, and I, I totally support that. Yeah. And I, if I were Elton John, I don't know what kind of person he is, but... <laughs> Hold, give me a second. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I would... Like, I wouldn't, I don't know, I'd want a, a compelling story to be told. I wouldn't want punches pulled to, like, protect your yeah. reputation or and whatever. And I think I Elton know. John is famously very cool and very sort of open about how fucked he was on drugs in the 70s yeah. and about how much he sort of almost destroyed his whole life. Um, he's got whole songs about how he was suicidal and, like, mm. completely out of it. So I think he, I think he's publicly supported, he has publicly supported this film and I'm sure that he... I'm, I'm sure that for the same reason as Queen wanted to perhaps be a bit more sweet and saccharine in preserving their image, Elton John is, um, for very similar kinds of reasons, trying to be more open and honest with the way he's depicted. Yeah, and I guess it's just a different personal preference, but I see it as yeah. a little more of an admirable thing when, they're, when they Absolutely. want to be really honest and don't not look at it through rose-tinted glasses, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I've got heaps of stories, but I think they're all good. How about this one? Um, there was a... Um, at the day of recording... Uh, there was a Apple new like event press conference thing today yep. where they announced their new lot of products and things coming out soon and most of these were all like services so they announced like a gaming arcade service where your games stream between your phone and like Apple TV or whatever Another fucking doing yeah, that Google an- Stadia yeah, yeah exactly similar another Apple TV service that they announced was like a streaming service kind of thing or like original content to go on iTunes or on Apple TV Okay. Um, the figurehead and the person who like creatively directed the little ad they did for Apple TV Plus was Steven fucking Spielberg, who <laughs> not two weeks ago was shitting all yeah, over Netflix. Netflix. What the fuck? Well, why do you think he was shitting on Netflix? <laughs> so now there's all these articles going out saying like mixed signals much and talking about how like what well, he's so he's uh, Steven Spielberg is going to be directing some series for Apple TV, um, and people say, oh, how many years? In three years, when Steven Spielberg is inevitably producing movies for Apple, yeah. is he then going to be wanting his shit to be considered for awards? When he I said, like, so. a couple of weeks ago, no, Netflix shit shouldn't be on awards. You yeah. should have theatrical runs and stuff. Um, people are talking about the fact that Apple bought the rights to a whole bunch of movies last year, um, uh, and they're going to be releasing them on this yeah. new service. Man, I assume wanting to try and get some more awards. We're going to have, like, the exact same problem that we had Instead of like, so you know how um, like 10 years ago, if you didn't have Fox, you had nothing and you just had to go to like a movie store and rent. And like cable just case, completely fucked everything. We can have cable all over again, man. Yeah. Because now you've got, you've yeah, exactly, because it used to be a big problem in the US and here as well, where like you'd have to buy channel packages and yeah. they get so expensive. And you have to buy every now, fucking channel. we're literally having the same problem again, where you've got Stan exclusives and Netflix exclusives and Amazon exclusives yeah. and Apple exclusives. If you want to get exclusive from all four of those, that's already now like 50 bucks a month. Right. We're and literally thing- just creating cable all over over again but it's not even some sort of unified service the thing that happened to me that was really annoying is like because the the model then is like well okay you just activate your membership while when you want to watch something and yeah. then cancel it and then you're on the other channel watching other stuff and blah 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 well, this but is you every still time, about the price every time you stop your membership <laughs> they raise the prices so it's it, it's it's going to be a lockstep mechanism yeah. of you either being loyal or having to pay shitloads more every time you want to swap services or pay for all of them and so I'm, yeah. I'm not fucking doing i'm not doing that you just yeah, so, we're, we're, we're getting fucked uh, but yeah hilarious imagine. that suddenly steven spielberg is um supporting streaming services and people are saying like that's a shriveled old yeah. dick sack <laughs> people I've... are saying like 
in defense of that, he's been famously supportive of like new technologies and the way he makes films and this is just like him supporting streaming and he's doing series and he's been he's got production companies that are involved with theater and tv and stuff already so it's not it's not like steven spielberg has come out and said i'm directing a movie for apple and i want an oscar but people are just saying like right right off the back of the last time steven spielberg said the headlines where he said there shouldn't be any awards consideration for netflix it's kind of what he was implying yeah Seems a bit weird that now, <laughs> yeah. now his I face mean, is like fair, 20 feet high at the Apple presentation. I, I too would probably sacrifice any principle I had for the amount of money that was being discussed in this yeah. deal. So, like, <laughs> I understand it, um, but I definitely don't respect it. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, screenwriter of the original Forrest Gump film, Eric Roth, did an interview recently where he was talking about... Um, <laughs> Uh, he said, like, the day before 9-11, he turned in a draft script for Forrest Gump, so ages ago now, um, where <laughs> he said he, he uh, suggested, like, a sequel to Forrest Gump that has obviously since been scrapped. Yeah. But he says that, like, <laughs> he'd had a whole bunch more, like, wacky historical events that Forrest Gump could have been involved in, including um, riding in the back of <laughs> O.J. Simpson's Bronco. <laughs> On that highway chase and right. meeting Princess Diana. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That would have been interesting. I bet he was pissed he turned it in the day before 9 11 happened. <laughs> or he could. <laughs> so I just did one week and then he'll have the wackiest adventure of all. You're like, September 10th, that'll be the most <laughs> momentous day of my year. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ. First little bit of news we've got about uh, Christopher Nolan's new film that hasn't we haven't had very much released about Star of Black. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. backpedaling just just for a sec. Why did why did it need to be grounded around nine eleven? That story. I assume it had nothing to do. No, with you're it. right. It had nothing to do. With it. I assume <laughs> that it's probably just like he wanted to convey. It said in the interview like he was talking about like this was ages ago. But yeah. I turned in a script you for a how, sequel like, to Forrest Gump. We have, we have two points that we relativize time to. Birth of Christ and, and 9-11. 9-11. I can imagine that if you turned in a script that for a film that was turned down and trash and never got made, you wouldn't really remember it very much. But if you uh, turned in a script and the next day is 9-11... Like, <laughs> so, uh, when do you guys reckon you're going to get around to that script? Uh, we're all a little busy. <laughs> That'd be a real strong bookend to nine months of screenwriting. I suppose so. <laughs> Um, okay, moving on. Had a, yeah, we've had a, a, a quick little bit of news about the new Christopher Nolan film. We don't know uh, yes. heaps about that, but it's come out here that the star of Black Klansman, John David Washington, is the first announced cast member of that new film. Yeah, cool. Very okay. exciting. That's great. We know nothing else so, about the film so far. Uh, protagonist from Black Klansman. Uh, yeah. This yeah. is... Uh, <laughs> all we know is that that guy's in it, and it's a event movie. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. With a potential cool. genre element. <laughs> Excellent. I hate news. Well, like, okay, does that does that mean like genre fiction? Because like genre fiction in uh, in literature is like I where... think that they were talking about how like oh it could be like a science fiction film. Or well, that's it could be like dumb. A, if yeah. they mean like because like um, perks of being a wallflower or like um, uh, the big sick would be like genre fiction in the way that like literature has genre fiction, which is like where that's like the literature equivalent of like drama where like it's based in reality, sort of it's contemporary and it just sort of tells human stories. So if that's what they mean, that's a kind of a weird move for a Nolan film. 
Um, especially yeah, no, if he's referring to it as an event. <laughs> so I mean, so far we found out that it's an event film and it's got a genre. So it has I, I, a I'm, genre. I'm going to assume that this is maybe one sentence that someone put up somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Or maybe it's one of those like leaked Big W listings where it's just like, you know, you find out about yeah. products that are coming out and someone's like, oh, it says it has a genre. That would no, be great. I, I'm going to assume we know <laughs> yeah. nothing about this film. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, I've got a couple more to close out and then we're done with it. How long? It's been a <laughs> real bumper uh, news uh, segment. A real... Uh, cluster bomb <laughs> of news. Um, There's news everywhere. A little everywhere. bit of a Detective Pikachu news mm. for the week, just because, again... Just to whet my appetite. <laughs> so we, we swore a blood oath to wring every last bit of news we could out of this film. Um, people were talking about, in some interview recently, or there's like a Q&A, um, uh, t- t- people were talking about uh, what other kinds of voices might have been tried out for Detective Pikachu? Because, oh, yeah. because famously, the video, not famously, the video game that this is based on, for example, he has like quite a gruff, gravelly voice instead of Ryan Gosling. Danny DeVito oh, yeah. said recently that he was tested for the film, and they did that by like dubbing lines from his always sunny in Philadelphia character into Detective Pikachu animation, which is nuts. Because that they dude need is to like release that as a re- DVD extra. He's like regularly shirtless and covered in milk and screaming yeah. at prostitutes and shit. Can so- I? Offer you an egg in this trying time, <laughs> but it's Pikachu. That would have been so, so, so really good. good. Maybe the only thing that could have made this movie better at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Again, that's coming out shockingly soon now. What um, if, like, Pikachu is voiced by DeVito and then the. Like the boy was voiced by Arnold, like post dubbed. <laughs> it's like twins, but <laughs> so it's the good. twin sequel we never knew we yeah. wanted. Yeah. Um, the final story for the week, and this is probably a little bit of an old story by now, but we haven't covered it on the pod since it broke. Um, <laughs> this news about J.K. Rowling retconning more news into her books and Fucking films and hell, shit. Um, the neat thing here is that J.K. Rowling gave a lot of uh, <laughs> very specific details about the sexual history of Dumbledore and Grindelwald. Mm. Um, I got a quote here. She said, Their relationship was incredibly intense. It was passionate and it was a love relationship. But as happens in any relationship, gay or straight or whatever label we want to put on, one never knows what really the other person is feeling. You can't know. You can't believe you know. So I'm less interested in the sexual side, though I believe there is a sexual dimension to this relationship, than I am in the sense of the emotions they felt for each other, which ultimately is the most fascinating thing about all human relationship. Which she will be right about if it wasn't for the fact that, um, that none of that was included in any... Yeah. Now, <laughs> let me be clear. Dumbledore fucked. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. He was looking in the mirror of desire and he was just seeing <laughs> seeing him at Johnny Depp. Seen, going at it. Dinner Depp for two. Bobbing up and Dinner down for behind him. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean... I cannot emphasize enough how much Dumbledore yeah. fucked. I'm Dumbledore all... and Grindelwald... <laughs> You couldn't, <laughs> honestly. Through, through the, couldn't sit down for weeks. Through the hallways of Hogwarts, <laughs> it just would echo <laughs> repeatedly around and around and around. And the students, they yeah. all heard it. You ever, no wonder one asked. The, you ever wonder why the Mirror of Error said was put in such a dingy little basement for so long? Dumbledore couldn't get enough of it, oh, baby. Good God. The Mirror of Error said never ran out of batteries. Did he? <laughs> they both. Insatiable, just so, an insatiable more. So obviously, that Dumbledore had to throw sex into that. It just and it just would eat and eat. So obviously, this is a common fuck me, J.K. 
Jesus it's Christ. What Dumbledore Stop said. Stop it. <laughs> um, so obviously this is a, a common complaint that we now have of JK where she is constantly like retconning more and more like representation yeah. of like How about you retcon the representation of the goblins? Huh? <laughs> yeah, uh, characters in her films and all that. But again, the complaint is every time you can't just say, oh, Dumbledore was gay. And like Dumbledore loved having gay relationships with wizards if it's if none of that is actually in the book, you know? Like, I mean, yeah. sure, she can, but it doesn't really mean anything in terms no, of like doesn't. representation or anything. Like it's it's just f- fucking meaningless. And it, it almost just seems like she's just doing it to get headlines. Like if she really meant it, she would have included it in the screenplay. Yeah, well, first she film. and her life's work are slowly fading out of reality, but she's a billionaire <laughs> and so she doesn't have to do anything for the rest of her life. So all there is to do... <laughs> Is just to make, make up shit, shit up. This and is she's going to keep releasing <laughs> fucking mediocre books and have more money than you. <laughs> Harry Potter books and that's aren't just mediocre enough to fight you on No, that. no, no. But the rest of the books that she will write probably <laughs> will be. Because yeah. now she's, um, so, she's so out of touch from reality now that she'll be incapable of being a human. <laughs> like, her money has sapped her humanity. The famously and grounded now, in reality yeah, Harry Potter films. And I reckon now she's just sitting there drinking $200 wine most of the day, <laughs> sitting on Twitter, shitting on people who try to tell her that she's now a terrible person, which she is. <laughs> That's my take. I mean, I don't think JK she's... JK Rowling. I don't think she's a terrible done. person. I ticked think, it off. I think she's just... She's a billionaire, so she is. <laughs> um, I'll say that I again. Mean, this she's is, a billionaire, so <laughs> She is. <laughs> this is up there with wizards didn't have indoor plumbing, so they shat themselves and magic away. Yeah, the they poo. just magic away the poo. <laughs> Which is, Which, if you didn't know, listener, another real thing that J.K. Rowling came out and yeah. said. This, to be fair, well, that was, this was on the Pottermore, Pottermore series, yeah. on writing. So it's at yeah. least it's like Harry but Potter. But J.K. elaborated and said, so when Dumbledore bummed Grindelwald, <laughs> they just did the same thing. No cleanup. <laughs> they just magicked away the poop. It's a lot more appealing in the Wizarding World because you can just give yourself an anima whenever right. you want to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which they would each time, once again, before they <laughs> fucked, an average of six and a half times a day. <laughs> All I want to know is, was Dumbledore a top or a bottom? It was both. <laughs> and they would just, in the air, levitate and then spin each other around. So it was top, bottom, top, bottom, top, bottom, top, bottom. That's how it would work. Fuck yeah. They would take turns with polyjuice potions that Dumbledore could be a top and a bottom at the same time, baby. Ugh. Yep. All right. I mean, it's almost like she doesn't want anyone to be able to enjoy the books as an adult. <laughs> just like lose themselves in the innocence of it. Yeah. I mean, again, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that it's not in the books. So, like, it just seems like she's just making shit up for no reason other than to, like, be like, oh, look how inclusive I am. It's like, well, you're not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's uh, the the pensive thing (laughs) that you you would look into. That was cum. (laughs) That, like... That that strand that comes out of the side of your head that had nothing to do with recalling the memories. He was ge- genetic he was, material. He was yeah. just doing just that had, in front of Harry. He just had calm on his forehead. <laughs> he could recall the memories whenever he wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Amazing skin, did double <laughs> double. <laughs> um, fucking hell. I think that's. I mean, you'll be surprised and relieved, and that's all the news I have for this week. Oh, good. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> I eagerly yeah. await next week's update when Hagrid's arrested for what he did with all those fantastic beasts. I'm going to go for a lot like a lot less cum related stories in next week's episode of the news. So you'll have to omit anything from JK <laughs> Rowling's side of the world then. <laughs> okay. well, let's say we go Should climb we? some mountains, huh? Let's go do it. Yeah. Um Oh, that's related to the fact that we watched Free Solo this week. Mm. Right. Um, so I tried my best. 
<laughs> Free Solo, a 2018 documentary. I think this is the first documentary we've ever covered on the show. So yeah. interesting to see how we go. Properly, um, yeah. <laughs> um, directed by Elizabeth Chai Vahaseli and Jimmy Chin. It's all about this climber, this rock climber who was well known in those communities and everything for doing climbs in what's referred to as a free solo style. Solo meaning you climb it by yourself with no one else around as backup or belaying you mm. or keeping you company or whatever. No ropes, no nothing. And then the f- free bit is no ropes, no nothing, unsupported completely. No, that's wrong. Free, free climbing is with ropes. Free solo is with nothing. Okay, fine. I yep. didn't know. Right, whatever. Free Solo. The point is, all together, there's no breaking Sorry. down of the words required. Free Solo, he's completely by himself. No ropes, no support, no nothing. So that means that if he falls, he just falls and dies. Yeah. It's, um, it's, at the scales that we're talking about. It's the about. riskiest climbing that you can do in the world. And it's kind of the adrenaline junkie uh, equivalent of the adrenaline junkies of climbers. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so Jimmy Chin is actually, this was a friend of his. I can't, what's the dude's name? Alex Honnold. So Alex Alex Honnold is actually uh, friends with Jimmy Chin. So Jimmy Chin, one of the co-directors. Yeah. It's directed by a husband and wife duo. Right. And uh, Jimmy Chin, well, they were both friends with Alex and Chin also had climbed with him a lot. Um, so they decided they were going to make this documentary about him anyway and then over the course of that he decided that he was going to try and climb El Capitan which is a sheer cliff face in Yosemite National Park in the US in the US Um, that is like it's literally meters tall no it's like a kilometer tall it's 900 and something meters tall it's all it's all in feet in the fucking thing so I couldn't quite (laughs) keep track of like how tall it was but huge tall. that's what this whole documentary is about is the build up and the training and the relationships he has with his family and that all leading up to this climb this free solo completely unsupported climb of this kilometer tall rock face which in no one, national park which no human being in recorded history has ever been able to free solo before shitloads of goats though they can't stop these goats <laughs> whizzing up and down them. not even goats <laughs> yeah, couldn't no. do it because a lot of the time you need to wedge your hands into shit no you're right so, there's all sorts of weird crimson yeah, karate is, kick that is ridiculous and, what you yeah, said yeah fuck me I guess <laughs> <laughs> so yeah as we mentioned at the top of the show this film recently won the academy award for the best feature length documentary for 2018 yep right off the bat I think this was a documentary that was that was good but nothing about it to me personally I don't know what you reckon but nothing about to me personally was screaming out like this is a tremendous accomplishment in the world of documentary filmmaking I I didn't see any of the competitors and I haven't watched a documentary that wasn't about uh, the meat production industry (laughs) in a really long time um so I, I think I'm short on competition to make a judgment because like it feels like one of those things where you're so used to watching really great movies and then you see yeah. a, a really good documentary and it's like yeah well cool. see I mean I, I was told a story in a very convincing yeah. way and then you watch a bad documentary and you're like oh this is like fucking amateur hour yeah right and so it's I mean, hard to make a documentary feel like a feature length film but I think this achieved that so I, yeah I, I really enjoyed it I, th- I think in in terms of the I kind of agree with you yeah right in terms of the pacing and the way in which it chooses to show specific elements of the story and really fleshes out because I mean it really does sound on paper and when I first thought about it I thought like oh am I just watching this dude climbing for two hours 
because he's the whole climb total takes like three and a half hours. I, I literally thought like, oh, so do you just watch the guy climbing for an hour and a half and he almost falls and there's suspenseful music and is that the movie? No. And the way in which they really flesh out the world like any good documentary film does and sort of talk to the filmmakers themselves about how they're feeling about maybe filming a guy die and mm. talking to his partner and like watching him prepare and it really gets into this whole... Uh, rock climbing world where you sort of watch him taking notes on how he's going to and planning his route and picking different ways in which he's going to grab specific parts of the wall on the way up yeah so this was like that's all fascinating yeah Um, I think the the reason part of the reason this is that this documentary shaped up to be the thing that it was is that they were originally just going to do a character study on Alex and so it wasn't originally going to be about him free soloing El Capitan they didn't like he didn't announce that he was going to do that and then all of a sudden they go but they went okay well let's fucking film it they were doing it anyway on him as a free solo climber because he was already one of the best in the world right and um, he then decided to do this and they sort of thought well let's Let's film this. And so it's kind of a combination between him as a person looking at his motivations, his relationships, and as you say, like why he might want to do this thing. Yeah. And then almost towards the tail end of the film, him actually attempting it. Yeah. Um, and I think that, the, yeah, it, it just gives it a really strong like narrative through Paul yeah, rather than you just watching a dude rock climb for an hour and a half. Yeah, I, th- I think that having a specific goal is really interesting, and it makes it really compelling. Um, rather than just like just watch learning about some guy for two hours, and be like, right, well, where does it actually get us? Yeah, and, and I think my main go- going back to what I was talking about with the the Oscars thing, um, I just feel like um, this was a fantastic documentary. I feel like it's more amazing what Alex does by free climbing. I feel like that's the star of the film rather than the filmmaking itself. I feel like the filmmaking and the documentary making does a really good job to sort of blend in and subtly present Alex's story without you being like, oh, wow, that's an amazing piece of film. And maybe that's what makes a good documentary in some ways. But my main issue was I thought like, right, well, if if the El Capitan free solo thing wasn't in this, would this have been a best film? I think that maybe people are just so surprised that this fucking guy... Climb, climb El Capitan, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that they just wanted to give an Oscar to the fucking rock climber guy, and so, we're like, oh, there's a, d- you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, I do get what you mean, it's, but it's, I, I think yeah. that one thing that um, I would posit possibly as a as a counter to that is that um, I think they do achieve exactly what you just said, where they kind of blend this seamless. They they manage to tell this story out of a series of clips. But I don't think that makes it the best documentary ever. I think it's good. one thing that I think is is really easy to lose sight of here is that they had to do this filming on a rock face while they were doing a lot of the shit that he had to do. And they had to make a a fucking movie while they were doing it. So I watched a few making of documentaries on this and every member of the crew was also a professional rock climber. So because they needed and they handpicked a bunch of uh, they, they handpicked the crew based on people who they thought, we need you to be able to climb rocks, film stuff at short notice. A lot of them were Alex's friends, which made it really difficult for them to watch him yeah. like possibly fall and die on this. And, and that was a lot of their ethical dilemma because he uh, it, it's, it's kind of discussed a fair bit in the movie about how it's going to affect him while he's climbing because he needs to be in the peak, peak 
of his physical and mental condition. And he's and got he, people with like cameras right up next to his face. Not just and people, shit. but his friends. And so yeah. he says at one point, I don't really mind being filmed dying. Like I don't have an issue with that. A lot of free solo climbers die. I'm he, aware I think of it he as says, a possibility. I, he says I don't really I don't really mind dying is what he yeah, says. Yeah, he says both. He says I don't mind dying and I don't mind it being on film, but I don't want to leave someone, especially not one of my friends, yeah. with a lasting impression of uh of me dying and also of the question of whether or not they caused me to fuck up and fall. Yeah. Because that would scar someone beyond repair for, for the rest of... That, that's going to stay with them for the rest of their life. Yeah. Because I really... It's in the back of my head when I'm climbing around a crew, that, especially people that I know, um, that I don't want to make a mistake and I don't want them to make me make a mistake because that's going to stick with them forever. Yeah. And I don't want that. And so that his, his issue... like. You know, in, at the end of the day, the way that they had to try and film was to impact on him as little as possible, which was, I think, a really interesting thing. So yeah. I guess, as much as the production of this feels really smooth and it's got all the standard stuff that a documentary has now, where you know it has a lot of like intimate shots where um, it makes you feel, it gives you a kind of like really, um, you know, maybe you're right, yeah, intimate I mean, slice of life view of this person. But they it get also right has, up with him while he's on the wall. Yeah. Um, and the way that they had to do that was was really fascinating too. But I think it just just to finish off that thought, yeah, like sure. it blends the 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 um, the mundane aspects of his life and the action elements, and then the task and his personality all together really well. But the way that they had to do that was under a lot more pressure than a normal film crew would have been under. And no, so I okay, think that's kind of where a lot of the impressiveness of this documentary comes from is is in what it took to do this. Yeah. Because if you just wanted to make a documentary about rock climbing. You know, a lot of it would have had to have been filmed, uh, you know, on a GoPro or yeah. like, yeah. So it, it it was a very, a very impressive, uh, I think if you think about what's required to represent the story of someone climbing up a kilometer rock the face. Cameraman, the cameraman also had to climb El Capitan. Right. And so like, yeah. yeah right. And obviously they're not doing it free solo, but um, they're <laughs> no, still. No, that's the rule. <laughs> well, they sort of, they have a crew follow him up from the bottom and then they sort of leave him behind and they have a crew descend from the top and kind of meet right, him. Right, okay. Meet him there. Um, but like in the more difficult parts of the climb, and this is getting to uh, some of how it was made in the making of stuff that I watched based on what he was saying, how they didn't want to be around him. So no one could make, no one in the film crew was allowed to make eye contact with him while he was climbing. He had, they all had to concentrate on their tech and be, be a camera basically. Mm. And um, then for the more difficult parts of the climb, they actually set up remote cameras on tripods drilled into the rock face that, that they activated from a base. That's cool, because he had like a fixed route that he knew he was going to Yeah, and, and that was one of the really fucking fascinating parts of this, was it, getting off of how it was made for a sec. These climbers take the same route every time, almost. Um, they have the intention of taking the same route well, every time. Well, because it's a naturally occurring rock face, so people have figured out where the good naturally occurring handholds and footholds right. and everything but are. But they will literally be remembering like, okay, when I'm at this this step, th they have these climbing journals, which are basically written in a, in a code yeah. um, of like, it's kind of like Twister. It's like, um, put your left foot on this thing and this uh, right foot up to this crimp on like the bread loaf shaped thing and then put your left foot on this 20 cent piece sized hold and, but and that's the, why it was useful you know, to have the camera guy there because he could stand there with the spinner and go alright Alex <laughs> yeah. it's left hand on blue now crimp right uh, yeah no um, he but the 
like looking at the journal, th- this is if you think about how long a kilometer's worth of tiny movements would be, yeah, God. he needs to have that memorized. And you would be able to figure out some of it while you're on the face, but you don't have time to be um, figuring out the route while you're on the wall. So what he's done is he's gone, he's gone onto this face on ropes many, 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 many times, 30, yeah. 40, 50, 60 times, and figured out what the route is. But this is the, this is the assembly of all of that knowledge without any of the assistance. And so he just has to do it in one go, clean, remembering every single step of each previous one. And if he doesn't, and if he at any point makes any mistake, he falls off the cliff and dies. Yeah, basically. It's it's absolutely crazy. And I think it's easy to lose track during this documentary at almost any point, based on how easy he's making it look, that if he even relaxes one of his limbs... If you you can't release tension in one of your limbs, yeah. or or you'll actually die. It's not just that something really bad happens. He doesn't not win a gold medal. He doesn't like lose a competition and go home sad. He falls hundreds of meters and his body explodes on a rock face. Like, yeah, no, it's ridiculous. It's very easy to forget that. And I think every time I remember that, I got a little like adrenaline burst of like, oh yeah, if he stops doing what he's doing right now. He dies. And you can't climb down either because a lot of these movements are one way, like where you figured out how to how to get your body up the rock face. You don't figure out how to get it back down. So at best, he can stick somewhere long enough to call a crew to come and rescue him. But much more likely is that a foot will slip and he'll fall. So this also has yeah. to be... A, it basically has to be a perfect run. Um, in one go, you got to feel good on the day. You know, it's very, very, very impressive. So. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Um, so, I thought <laughs> I thought to put in perspective how fucking tall this is. Right, he had to climb. It says nearly three thousand feet, so that's like almost a kilometer, yeah. almost one thousand meters up, completely unassisted. The tallest skyscraper in Australia is. Only 322 meters. Right. So, he's so you have to completely climb up the side of a skyscraper that's three times higher than the tallest one that there is in Australia. Yeah. And like, and then you get that. If it's you look it's at insanely, the, unfathomably high. If you look at the route that he takes, he actually climbs up one part and of it down and then a, down yeah. a little bit and then up again. So he's probably actually climbing like maybe a... Th- a thousand two hundred meters or so. It's absurd. Um, he's on the wall, as we've said, for like over three over hours. three hours, like yeah. three hours and twenty minutes or something. Like that. One of the, one of the and camera- most of that is yeah. spent like him holding himself in place. There's a couple yeah. of points where he can sort of take a break or just walk on a rock ledge or something, but mm. like again, careless slip. Really and, good. And you're dead. So he just has to have like razor focus the whole time. I think one of the most compelling parts of the documentary for me was the bit where they talk about the history of free climbing and free solo yeah, climbing. Yeah, that briefly. really hit home. And he, they sort of show a montage of a lot of the free climbers that have died. Um, there's one specific shot where it kind of looks like you're watching someone fall to their death, which is really intense. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that was I thought that was him. And that there had just been this big twist in this documentary where halfway through, very quietly, they just show him falling and dying. And then, it was gonna, and then it was going to like explore the impact that that had on the family or something. I would have been like, fucking hell. Yeah. But he, ba- he basically base jumps <laughs> and deploys a parachute, um, which I, you can do, but in the, and he could have a parachute on. My, I, I, I but don't know. He a, doesn't. A friend of mine told me recently that she thought that maybe base, that's base jumping and base jumping is illegal. It is, yeah. Yeah, so... 
Maybe you kind of bought shit. But no, I thought that was interesting. Well, I um, mean, yeah. If, if you're going to... One of his like camera guys... It's guy, that or die. I reckon yeah. I'd rather be arrested <laughs> for base jumping. But yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's true, actually. Um, one of the camera guys or one of his friends or whatever described free solo climbing as being like an Olympic level athletic achievement where if you don't get a gold medal, you die. Yeah, that's in the, which is that's like in a, the thing. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it's a great way to describe it. Yeah. And I just think, I mean, without harping on too much about how crazy it is that this is what he does. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. And I think it's worth watching for that alone. There are lots of really brilliant shots that kind of look like they're filmed with maybe maybe not a drone. They use drones. Yeah, they right. use drones, D- yeah. Drones. But and they had like to, again, they had to pick moments where it wouldn't be distracting that there yeah. was a drone following him. Because yeah. they basically went through with him and said, what are you okay with us doing at each point? Yeah. And uh, and, and had to work out like... Because he, he had to choreograph his whole thing, which means they also had to choreograph filming and they had to know yeah. exactly when they could do certain things. And yeah. So there was, there was a funny scene where like they were talking about like whether he was all right with filming. He goes, you guys know if I wanted to do it, I could just go and climb the thing free solo and not even tell you. Yeah, I like, just wouldn't tell anyone. <laughs> but please don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they, they didn't ever... How fucking funny would that be if one day he was like, oh, I, I did it this morning, by the way. Yeah, I mean, that would, that would be really fucking funny. But um, they actually said because of the... Uh, so they, they had to make some real ethical considerations because, again, yeah. if he's in the wrong mindset and if he kind of thinks... or um, At one point while they were filming something not on uh, El Capitan, one of the directors put their feet on... Uh, a stone at the top of a cliff and it dislodged a backpack-sized rock, two two backpack-sized rocks that fell on either side of a crew member. Fuck. And so, like, if he'd been climbing El Capitan and that had happened and he got distracted for a second and lost his grip, they directly would have caused his death. So they had to take all sorts of considerations of, like, right, how do we minimize our impact? How do we make sure everything's perfect? Yeah. Because if we cause him to lose focus, then we are directly responsible for his death. That's kind of interesting then, because you've got like, it kind of reminds me of the sort of precautions that um, the Planet Earth documentarians have to take yeah. into account about like minimizing the impact of like disturbing wildlife. Yeah, and they can't assist if they see something like they just have to document that they're not yeah. allowed to intervene. On top of that, they had to remain, every crew member at all point during this entire thing, including the directors, had to remain completely... A- ambivalent about whether or not he did it so they they never they could never encourage him to do it so that you you made the joke about like haha please don't not tell us they had to be fine with him doing that and they had to say you do whatever you want to do but if you let us know we'll be ready so they just had to basically compl- at, at no stage did they want fucking nerve-wracking right and it's because they didn't want him to do it because they didn't want him to feel like he had to do it because they wanted him to, and he didn't want they didn't want him to feel like he couldn't do it because they were watching. So yeah. like it was this weird that the whole film was this weird balance between them making sure that they never pressured him into it, but also never made him feel like he would be letting them down if he didn't do it, because then he might do it and then he might fuck, fuck up. And it would still be their fault. So they had to really balance this this knife edge of like, yeah, never pressuring him, but also mm. never making him feel like he had pressure on himself. Yeah. Well, the more you talk about it, the more I think that perhaps the the Oscar win was deserved then perhaps, just because of the way in which you talk about the obstacles they had to overcome in order to make this even seem like a normal movie. And I know some of that was in the movie, but I would then might have liked, if we talk about things we might have done differently, I might have liked if they'd included a lot more of that stuff in the actual movie itself. Right. Because... That makes it more impressive. And if they if they included 
things about like because it's a documentary. It's not as if it'd be weird to have making of stuff in the documentary. Yeah, and itself. it wasn't super long either, so I reckon no. they could have included I think, it as a bit of a longer cut. I think that would have been a much better movie mm. in terms of showing you just the feat of making how the film. insane it is. That actually, maybe they wanted to make it a more cohesive film that feels. Like, there's no effort at all going into it. And they really did do a good job at that. Yeah, or maybe they wanted to focus on him and not focus... Because already the crew gets a fair bit of time. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, um, so, I don't know if they wanted to just focus on, on him or what he was doing. But Do you yeah. want to talk briefly about his personal... The personal relationships and the yeah, family Yeah, so side I guess things? the most the most prominent personal relationship that they explore is... Uh, he's He lives... So, he lives in a van... Um, yeah, he's a bit of a weird dude. They don't go too much into it, but um, kind of. He said his father was on the spectrum. He kind of seems like he might be as well. He, he got diagnosed as I think, or maybe not formally diagnosed, but displays a lot of symptoms of um, autism spectrum disorder. He's very like blunt and unemotional a lot of the time, which is not necessarily associated, but can be with those that that um, that disorder. There are lots of scenes where his girlfriend talks about how he doesn't express his emotions very well. Yeah. But like she'll <laughs> like there's a there's a scene where she's literally like, I love you and he's like, I appreciate you. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's um it's an interesting dynamic that they have and you can definitely tell they actually have an explicit conversation at one point about how her saying like why do you want to do this? And um, him just kind of saying, "Well, it's just what I—it's just what I want to do, and I don't feel like I'm going to—I um, I don't feel like I'm going to feel fulfil- fulfilled until I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah. Fulfilled until I have a go at it, at least." And she's like, "Yeah, but if you have a go at it and you fail at it, you die. Don't you feel like you have a responsibility to extend your life because of your relationship with me?" And he's like, I feel absolutely no responsibility to do that. And he said, if I did have obligations, which I'm guessing they mean like having kids a kid or, whatever, or yeah. yeah, then I would reconsider. But at this point in my life, I don't have yeah. any of that. And, and she's so like, I'm what quite... about me saying I love you? And he's like, no. Yeah. And he's like, that's not enough. And then I actually think that's pretty reasonable. And also, I, I at a point, I felt like, you know, it's like, I get that you want this close relationship with this person, but like you've chosen to be with them and they are clearly a very emotionally maybe not emotionally complicated in some ways but emotionally complicated to deal with at least personally yeah. if you want him to come back don't make him feel guilty about doing this thing it's like <laughs> yeah it, no, but- he, he, his whole thing was like I don't want to be distracted I don't want any other like ulterior kind of pressures on me yeah. because I just need to be thinking about my body while I'm on that wall and if I'm not doing that Anything could cause me to fuck up. And she's like, what about if I say I love you? Doesn't that kind of give you any guilt? <laughs> and it's he's like, no. And I was like, why are you asking that question? If you don't want him to die, and you know he's kind of going to do it anyway, like... I think she doesn't want him to... She obviously doesn't want him to do it. Yeah, but and, it but was like, kind of established. He was very clear that he would do it anyway. They bring up this really interesting point where it's like, yeah, but if I didn't do it because I was with you, there would always be the simmering resentment about it and I would feel like... It's an insanely kind of blunt thing held to say. It back. Yeah. It's blunt, but it's true. And it's something you hear from, I think, a lot of professional athletes who are who come to a point of choosing between relationships, their personal yeah. relationships and, and their, their aspirations. But... Um, yeah, she sort of says, "I he's it's it's his choice, and you know he feels like he has to do this thing. So, um, I guess yeah. I just uh, I have to put aside what I want him to do and recognize that he's going to do this anyway." It's like, yeah, you should have had that attitude a year ago. It's personal growth. I don't know. I think it's an interesting insight into their relationship, but also he talks all the time or several times in the documentary about how nice it is to have a girlfriend and how he he likes being in a relationship with her. Yeah, and you can't. 
I don't know, like, relationships are about compromise, man. And you can't have him be, like, wanting to be in a relationship with this girl, but completely on his own terms and completely uncompromisingly, like, he wants to do all the stuff he wants to do. Because that's, in its own way, it isn't that kind of, like, emotionally... It's a little bit emotionally manipulative to be like, I want, I want, to, I want you to love me and I'm happy loving you, but only if I get to do all the shit I want to do. And she's, like... I think he wasn't being emotionally manipulative. I think he was being emotionally blunt and inflexible. And I think that she knew yeah. that. And so he wasn't manipulating well, like her to stay. Yeah. yeah, but he was sort of saying, hey, look, I'm going to be this. And if you want to be with me, this is what you get. Yeah. And so she was kind of like, well, I do, so I'm going to bend. But he was never asking her to bend. He was saying, I won't bend for you. And so yeah. I think it's I don't know. like maybe it, it's weird it, that it, she stayed yeah. with him. It's all like a it's all personal relationship yeah, shit. Yeah, I, I thought it was like... There were definitely times where I was like, oh, why are you with this dude? But, like, obviously yeah, they That's 100% my feeling the whole time. <laughs> yeah. This dude seems like such an asshole. Yeah. He's a very strange he's, guy. He's likable at times, but very at other selfish, times, like... Very stubborn. He says, like, dude, he, he, he lives in a van and he's cooking for himself on this little stove and then he just eats and drinks straight out of the saucepan? They, he had a lavalier mic on for that shot, and I could tell because I heard the food <laughs> slurp up oh, into man. his mouth, and it was one of the he worst like, things that's ever happened. But to me. like, and then he, and then he, he's like, "Oh, fine. If if the old ball and chain doesn't want to live in a van with me, I suppose I'll buy her a house." And so they buy a house. It's paraphrasing, but yeah, yeah. N- yeah. <laughs> he just seems so that's setting he seems up this so upset dynamic. and so selfish the whole time. Like they're like setting up the house, and she's like, "Now, of course, Alex says I'm only allowed to ask him one question about the furniture each day. So yeah. here I am figuring." out and then they're making dinner for each other on the stove and he just again just eats straight out of the saucepan like an animal yeah just, that was the that was the thing out of the whole film that drove me absolutely insane <laughs> the frying implement habits would have just been a no for you eating straight out of the saucepan no absolutely not i yeah again like i see that as i think him buying a house is already him compromising, right? Because I think he would have been perfectly happy to just live in a van forever. I and just she thought, like, why desperately fuck? Yeah. wanted this like normal fucking life. And I, it's like if you yeah. want a normal life, don't pick this dude. <laughs> exactly. I thought, man, why is she with him? Yeah. Why is this dude even this dude's being selfish? Because obviously, like, if he gets to have a girlfriend completely on his own terms and he can even just live in a van and eat out of a fucking pan, yeah. then he's gonna be like, Yeah, great, works works for me. No, I didn't I didn't like the guy at all. I thought it was a really interesting documentary, but I thought it did a very good job of being very honest. Yeah. Um, like it shows him saying all this brutal shit to her and then her just crying. Like he says, for example, like well, um, she, I don't want you to be, yeah. I don't want you to be here um, on the night before, like the day off the climb, because you'll just distract me, and you'll just like it, it won't be good for you. So fuck off. And so like he sends her away. That's the day very. Of the climb. That's you're representing that in a very like cold no, was, and inhuman way. He's a very he cold says, and human dude. Yeah, he's cold and inhuman, but he's not mean to her. He's not like fuck no. off. He's like, I. Uh, this is. It, like the whole point of this is that it's about me doing it. So yeah. if, if I'm going to do this and it needs to be how I need to do it. And so like, yeah. I, I don't want any distractions. Well, that's the whole and film. And she's part of it. The and whole so film is she's like, upset about that yeah. and it hits her really hard. And she ends up crying later on the way home. But he's not like emotionally abusive to Yeah, her. no, he's not. No, but you're right. But th- sorry. He's just extremely distant. Yeah, the whole film it's just like, man, you're a good climber, but what the fuck is going on with this? Yeah, well, I don't understand. It's, it's. I think that's one of the things that that the documentary does pretty and well. It does really well is represent how you can't really understand what's going on between them. Yeah, unless you are them, because like, boy, mm. why would you choose that? Yeah, but yeah. Um, 
<laughs> going off perhaps on other documentaries just for a bit because I think we could, pro- <laughs> we could probably wrap it up reasonably soon. Um, I was thinking about the idea that this documentary doesn't really... Like, it, it feels to me like this documentary, when I said at the start, like, oh, maybe it's only loved because it's about this amazing thing and if you didn't make El Capitan, it wouldn't be a good documentary. Right. Maybe, obviously, there's a lot of other effort that I've now learned has gone into it and that's kind of why it's this achievement. But I thought about one of my favourite styles of documentary is when they talk about something you couldn't give a shit about, like some tiny little world or some niche little thing and explain to you why it's incredible and why it's interesting. And I think one of my favorite documentaries ever is this film called Jiro Dreams of Sushi. And it's all about this, like, four... I don't know how many... You know how the Michelin Hat restaurant rating system for, like, worldwide gourmet restaurants? It's, like, one of the top-rated restaurants in the world. And it's just this little sushi restaurant, like in the subway system of Tokyo or Kyoto or some shit and there's enough space for like 10 people sitting yeah. and it's $700 for 15 minutes and it just <laughs> de- it, it like dives you deep into this world of like this sushi chef who's like eight chef who's like 80 years old yeah. who's the best sushi chef in the world his apprentice is just stuck making the same egg omelette for two years until he perfects it. Um, it shows you like them going and picking the salmon at the market and there's this whole fucking world of salmon and tuna auctions that you had no idea ever existed. There's all these fucking cooking implements and crazy ways to prepare the sushi and you get this sense of wonder and this sense of intrigue behind this whole world of sushi that you had never no idea ever went that deep. And I didn't really get that from this film. I felt like mm. I already knew that it's amazing to climb a rock that's a kilometer high. And so perhaps my gripe with the making of thing was like, well, I would have wanted to see why this is also amazing. I think the this is amazing part of this film would have been watch us make this film and look how hard it is. Yeah. Or, or I wasn't very impressed. Or the, the whole time. other I'm way. Like, yeah, obviously, it's, obviously you have to be crazy to do this. And obviously that's really amazing. Yeah. So you're not blowing, nothing about it told me anything that I didn't already know, if you so know what I mean. A little, a little peek sense? into our... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I agree. A little peek into our personal lives. We've been going bouldering a lot recently with a group yeah. of buddies. Where are rock bouldering is Bouldering is <laughs> rock, rock climbing, but you're not climbing as high, but you're also not climbing with a harness. So, it's so we're actually, also free solo climbers. We are, technically. Free, free solo <laughs> climbers up to about... Two meters off the ground. So uh, no, um, no, we're free solo climbers, <laughs> and so as representatives and professionals in the industry, right? I think you don't should. You have to be paid <laughs> to be a professional, but yeah, they, and, they don't pay you. Oh man! So that had two effects on me. One, yeah. the next time I went bouldering, which was like the next day, I was like, I could fucking do what that guy does if I <laughs> tried really hard and trained for a while. And then I got no. on the wall, and I was just like, Oh no! Oh. Jesus Christ, this is so much harder than I thought it would be yeah. based on like having watched someone do it effortlessly for three hours. <laughs> Secondly, I thought I actually would have liked, and maybe this would have lost people who weren't fans of actually doing that type of stuff, but yeah. I would have loved for him to go into hyper detail about the climbing itself. And, like, and th- those are some of the most interesting parts of the whole film. Right, when he like, talks about like uh, doing a... A full crimp and yeah. Like, well, yeah. He, t- he talks about like right. There's this very specific point of the climb halfway up where I can either go in this direction or this direction. Yeah. And this one has these kinds of trade offs, and this one has these kinds of trade offs. And you watch him make his notes, and you they film him doing both versions of hit the route with ropes on to try and decide which one is best when he doesn't have the ropes on. Yeah. And that's part of the most. That's one of the most interesting parts of the film. And, and I would and have they, loved to have seen more of that instead of presenting that in a technically in a technical sense about climbing up the 
the cliffhanger, they instead present it as an emotional dilemma that he as a character needs to overcome. And yeah. a, a kind of fork in the road physically and literally. Well, that's interesting because um, it pays off later as well when he, go, it he gets back to doing that, doing that bit. Yeah. When he's and you see, uh, not on the harness and you see him make the decision to go the way again. Right. And it's a good way of, of reflecting on the progress that he's made and what the how much previous effort each, each individual moment in the climb has required in order for him to be successful in it. Yeah, absolutely. But I really would have liked more of that, I think. Um, I think so as well. So, uh, you know, one of two ways you can either, or I guess, you know, in, in, in two ways, I, I agree. They either could have doubled down on the technical aspect of producing this film, or they could have doubled down on the climbing and the sport aspect of it. When instead, I think they reflected it. They chose to deep dive on his, him as a person and his emotional journey. And yeah. I think in some ways that was very interesting, but it also would have been interesting if it was more focused on the sport itself. So, yeah. yeah. In terms of documentaries, I mean, this was up there. I don't really remember kind of specifically how many documentaries or like, uh, you know. Uh, I don't think either of us are huge documentary of, people. No, not really. I, I generally enjoy them pretty significantly when I watch them. Yeah. Well, I've got the documentary. What OJ versus the people or OJ versus America? Yeah, I've I've got it at home, but I haven't watched it yet. See, I Um, think that there's an interesting sort of subcategory of documentaries because there are plenty of documentaries that are like obviously making of documentaries Mm. or like documentaries about crime and about very specific crime events that I think are all inherently compelling or like documentaries about celebrities. So I really think that the most interesting kinds of documentary films are the ones about shit you've never heard of. Yeah, and, and, they, and they give you a little insight into a world that you didn't know exists. That's that's yeah. my favourite type of, of documentary as well. I, it's like, show yeah. me how they fucking make like deodorant cans or something <laughs> in, in yeah, like an exactly. incredibly in-depth fashion and, and yeah. how like... You know, the the little guys got bought out by the big guys, whatever, yeah. Yeah, like th- there's, there was a whole documentary series about little design things on YouTube, and I, on, not on YouTube, on Netflix, I don't remember what it's called, but there was a whole documentary series about the dude who designed Air Jordans. Right. And about the thought process behind that yeah. and about the different ways in which he changed and like changed all the time. That's really interesting. That's a very good one that I saw recently. Another one, and again, I couldn't give a shit about Air Jordans. No. But the way, yeah. they, the way they get you into it is really great. Yeah. Um, Again, my favorite documentary I've seen in a long while is uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Yep. It's very good. So you would say that was better than this? I reckon um, this... I don't have a documentary that's worse than... I mean, there are plenty of documentaries that are just fine. I can't fine, think of a bad and documentary. And I'm not most of a documentary guy. Yeah. I feel like I just... I think recently I enjoyed this a lot more than I enjoyed the Fire Festival documentary. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so I didn't I'd watch that, but yeah, sure. This is better than Fire, the Netflix Fire Festival yeah. documentary, and it's worse than Jiro, Jiro Dreams, Dreams of Sushi. Sushi. Where can we watch that if, if we... On Fire? No, Jiro. Yeah, it's available on iTunes for like $5. So you can rent it for like $5 on iTunes. Um, and I think it's worth going in on. Mm, cool. Uh, you don't have many other documentaries <laughs> to recommend? No. Um, I, I'm, I, I no. agree with your estimates. And again, I think it's hard to recommend documentaries of this specific genre I'm talking about because you got to get in on them knowing that you couldn't give a fuck about it. <laughs> right. I think Free Solo is probably a really interesting one to watch anyway. Yeah. Um, especially... I don't know if being into a s- closely related sport makes it more or less interesting. Probably a lot more interesting. Um, but it's very, very impressive nonetheless. I watched it with my partner who doesn't do that type of stuff. And she was... Um, you know, some of the some of the shots of him... Like, they have this uh, 
large crane over the top, right yeah. on the top of the rock face that they winch, basically winch the camera out over the sheer face. So you can on. see the valley way below. Yeah, and he's sort of like right up at the top of the screen and then the sheer drop below him is right, right, right down. And you yeah. can sort of see these like 100 meter tall pine trees that are just tiny, Specs. tiny below him. Again, so, Australians, like, this clock rock face is three times taller than the tallest building you've ever seen. They, it's they, ridiculous. Some of my favorite shots in the in the film are from a camera that's on the ground with a huge telephoto zoom lens. Yeah. And they show him as like on the face and he's it's pretty blurry. And then they <laughs> sort of zoom out and you're like, fucking hell, how is he there on this thing? And he got there on the fucking ground. Because he just started, started walking yeah. where the camera is, and now he's there, and he didn't <laughs> use anything. That is yeah. fucking crazy. Yeah, so nuts. Yeah, there's some, and my my partner was very impressed by uh, at least the the section that shows him climbing the the face itself. So yeah. I think it's probably worth your time. Um, I rented it on Google Play, but it's on iTunes too. Yeah, so. again, yeah, you can rent it on iTunes for like five dollars. I think that's a great service that no one. Really thinks about too yeah, much because we've just gone out of an era where, like, guess, yeah. yeah, we've gone out, of, go, gone out of an era where everyone used to just download movies. Mm. <laughs> Not us, mm. that's for sure. But um, yeah, any movie you want, you could watch for like three dollars. Let's solicit sponsorship, <laughs> Google. <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> we could get you into the big leagues, hit, baby. Hit me up. <laughs> I got, I got thirty ripe listeners ready to go. <laughs> Um, um, again, yeah. this was a listener request this week. Thanks mm. to uh, listener of the show Zach. Yep. Not that Zach. Other Zach. We got two Zach. Not you, baby. Zach. <laughs> uh, thanks to listener of the show Zach for recommending we watch this one. I really enjoyed it. Yep. Um, if you have a suggestion for us or you have any thoughts about free solo that you'd like to share with us, we'll let you, we'll read it out on air. Our email address is beefstationpod at gmail.com if you'd like to join us on Facebook we update you on all the new episodes and all that sort of stuff that's facebook.com slash beefstationpod you yep. can find us there uh, that's us. That's about, about time to wrap up this week yeah. I'd say thanks for joining us I'm Oscar Andrew see you later look what you've overcome to get here look at the distance you Doubts that you've pushed down Fear that you've drowned out When they said that it couldn't